thing that's very near and very dear to my heart um, simply because I love children and um, God creates life so um, I don't agree with politics from the pulpit ever this is not at all Um, however if we are preaching the full counsel of God if we are preaching God's word in its fullest because God is the creator of all, because God is in charge of all, there is no way we can not hit things that affect our lives every day. Um, this was planned for Sanctity of Life Sunday. And on, on that Sunday, many churches will pass out baby bottles for the local crisis pregnancy center. And they'll maybe show a, a, a video to tug at the heartstrings. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's when they stop there that it fails. It's when they stop there with their video and, the, and, and their, their efforts and it fails because it fails to address the problem of what abortion really is, of what, what this truly is. And so today I, I want to I talk to this and we're among saints, we're among the brethren, we're among the body of Christ. So why do we have to hit this so hard? It's because though, praise God, there's no Planned Parenthood murder mills in West Virginia per se, that doesn't mean there aren't people in West Virginia that go for abortions, whether in Hagerstown or in Pennsylvania and so forth. It means that you likely know somebody or know somebody who knows somebody that may be considering abortion and so forth. And what's worse yet is because, as with many things, I am a firm believer is as the church goes, so goes the world. Okay? The church stood silent. The church dropped the ball during the sexual revolution in the 40s and 50s, and that's why we're dealing with this today. You have a sexual revolution, you have a sexual de-evolution, you have perversion growing. Out of that, the product is abortion. Because a child is seen as a burden that gets in the way of my sexual lusts and desires and festivities. And so these two things, I think, have marked society and maybe sped up this downfall that this world is in, the sexual revolution and Roe versus Wade in, in 73. Further, we need to talk about this in the church, and I'm going to talk very frankly with you, with truth and in love. My wife has, has given me the, the lecture which I needed to remember this is the brethren and not the street where you're used to preaching on. So forgive me, though, but for that, but the passion that I have is because I love children. Okay? When we come and we, we turn to Christ and our hearts are changed, we love the things that God loves and we hate the things that God hates. And God hates because God is love. I love African Americans. I hate slavery. I love Jewish folk. I hate the Holocaust. And friends, I love children. And I hate with every ounce of my being abortion. Amen. Okay? Furthermore, furthermore, and put your hand under your jaw because here's where it starts to fall towards the floor. You may have not have heard of an organization called the RCRC, the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. Now I'm going to read. I see some, some questions. What's this? This is a real thing, and I'm going to give you their, their, um, what they are. Quote, a broad-based national interfaith movement that brings the moral force of religion to protect and advance reproductive health, choice rights, and justice through education, here we go, prophetic witness, pastoral presence, and advocacy, unquote. What? 
prophetic witness and pastoral presence to the slaughter of babies. Yes, you heard me correctly. And because many apostate churches, and I'm going to call them what they are, they're apostate churches. You can start with, with like the United Church of Christ, the Episcopal Church. Those are proud members of this organization. They're proud members. They're flying the banner of Christ over here, and at the same time, they have their foot over here in this vile vomit called the world, championing people's choice. And oh, by the way, before we get too far off the mainline denominations, friends, don't forget that it was only about three years ago that the United Methodist Church General Conference voted to rescind their participation in the Religious Council for Reproductive Choice. And even though the United Methodist Church left that, they still to this day, to this day, and you think when you, when you leave for lunch, how many UMC churches you're going to drive by, how many family members you probably have in those churches, and how many friends you probably have in those churches, they will not take a biblical position. I'm not talking politics. I'm talking what God says, a biblical position. Here, matter of fact, this is from the United Methodist Church's website. I'm going to tell you what they say. So don't take this knucklehead's word. Listen, tragic, quote, tragic conflicts with, of life with life that may justify abortion. And in such cases, we support the legal option of abortion under proper medical procedures by certified medical providers. Ichabod. Ichabod. United Methodist Church from their website. You can look it up. So I want to know, I want to, we want to talk about what God says about this, okay? Because we could sit here all day and point fingers, but what does God say about this? And how do we approach it? And I, and I will tell you, as an expository guy, this was very challenging because when you, when you, when you listen to, to men of the faith who are expository preachers, it's verse by verse by verse by verse preaching. That's your structure. Right? Forgetting what Andy Stanley mumbles about. But that's your structure. Expository preaching. Ezra kind of gave us the example, right? When you, something like this, I, I have really struggled. So forgive me. I, I feel kind of a little out, out of sorts because, but I, I was able to work some expository into this. So, so bear with me. But before I get too far, when we talk about what is abortion, okay, we, what's, what's the, always the argument that comes up? Well, what if the mother's life is in danger and they got to abort the baby and to save the mother's life? Listen, I'm going to read this from somebody way smarter than me. That scenario is extremely rare. In fact, if you remember C. Everett Coop, who stated in his 38 years of service as a pediatric surgeon, he was never aware of a single situation which a preborn child's life had to be taken in order to save the life of the mother. He referred to that argument as a, quote, smokescreen for the abortion movement. That, that's a pediatric surgeon. Due to significant advances, the danger of pregnancy from the mother has declined uh, considerably since 1967. Now listen to this. From Dr. Alan Guttmacher of Planned Parenthood of the ones who have made a business out of selling body parts of aborted babies. This is from Planned Parenthood. This is one of their own doctors. He says this. Today it is possible for almost any patient to be brought through pregnancy alive unless she suffers from a fatal illness such as cancer or leukemia. And if so, abortion would unlikely prolong, much less save her life. Now that's coming from one of the, one of the murder mills. Okay, so, so just keep that. And then, and then I would say this from a, from a Christian perspective. Should a situation like that arise, um, two things. One, that's not, that's not abortion. 
Abortion is murder. Murder is a premeditated act of killing. That is not what that is. And in that scenario, I think there's wisdom in leaving that between the mother, the father, and their pastor. Thinking through James 1.5, right? Ask the Lord, seek wisdom, and, and leave it at that. But that's not abortion. That's not murder. So, so what is abortion? I'll give you three, three pieces of it because they have three, there's three trimesters. Quote, during the first trimester, the methods are dilation and suction called DNS or dilation and, cha- and cut courage called DNC basically means a vacuum tears the child in pieces and sucks the pieces out through a tube or a sharp instrument, dismembers the fetus into sections, and then often forceps are used to crush the head and reduce its size. This, of course, can result in a torn uterus, a perforated uterus, sterility, and things like that. During the second trimester, the safe, comfortable home of the child, known as the amniotic sac, is wounded by a needle, which withdraws the amniotic fluid and replaces it with heavy saline solution, which basically burns the child alive. In 24 hours to 72 hours, the body will expel the dead fetus. During the third trimester, thank you, New York City, a hysterectomy is used. Sometimes uh, prostaglandis, I've got this definition from from somewhere, a a drug uh, producing delivery by stimulating the uterus falsely into labor, sometimes to produce the children born alive who are then left to die or killed. And then the newer ways are when they find they puncture the soft spot on the baby's head, they vacuum out the baby's uh, brain and, and the matter in its head and so forth. And uh, another abortionist um, also suggested that the length of the baby's foot could be measured to determine uh, the price of abortion. That's what we're talking about. That's a far cry from a decision made between a mother and a father and a pastor and a medical and all that, all that stuff we just talked about. So that, that's what we're talking about. Now, I understand everybody has their position on abortion. That's probably not here, but hopefully, Lord forbid, in here. But many places, well, I have a position. I have a position. My question is, where does your position come from? It's come from Dr. Phil. It's come from Oprah. Does it come from these other places, right? Or, or, or does it come from, from, from Jesus? And just so we can be clear from here on out, so you know, we're all, you know where, 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 where I'm at, there's no such thing as pro-choice. Let's just get that out right out Amen. off the bat. You're either pro-life or you're pro-death. Amen. Okay? There, there's, there's no in-between. There's none. It, it is that black and white. And I understand that abortion does not, the word abortion itself does not appear in Scripture, okay? You'll hear some of the, some of the, some of the um, false teachers out there try to throw this to justify, well, abortion is not in the Bible. Well, n- neither is curling up on a beach and, you know, doing a line of coke and partying, but it's wrong. You know what I'm saying? Right? But, but that doesn't mean God's silent about this. So what I was able to do, the, the best way I could do this was to break it into three parts. The person for abortion, God's view of abortion, and God's solution for the board, abortion. So, so here we go. So that's the easiest way I could break this down. So our, our, our text that we're going to work from is, uh, if you open your Bibles, to John chapter 8, verse 43 and 44. John chapter 8, verse, verses 43 to 44. Say amen when you get there. John chapter 8, verses 43 to 44. John chapter 8, verses 43 to 44. I'm reading from the ESV this morning, but it should be close to what you have there. Here we go. Uh, These are Jesus' words, by the way. Jesus says this. He says, Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. 
and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and a father of lies. Those are Jesus' words to the Pharisees. But we get... We, we begin to see a sense of how, uh, of how God, not only in this, but God, God sees an unconverted person's nature, right? These are unconverted folks that are, that are denying. And what I want to show you is, as we start looking in this first section of the person of abortion, it's kind of when you go to the eye doctor and they, they have those little googly things in front of you and they click and they, you know, click and, you know, lens, you know one or two, three or four, five or six. And as they start clicking, things start getting a little clearer, a little clearer, a little clearer, Right. And so that's what I want to do is I want to, want to go through this and see if we can clear up these blurred lines and this misconception. Again, I know this is the body of Christ, but, but to think that we can uh, not think through this because there's no Planned Parenthood murder mills in West Virginia is, is foolish. So let, let's be equipped. Let's be prepared. Let's see what God's word says. And so Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and, and, and who by their words and by their actions are exposing that God's not their father. Okay. He's not their father. And so because of that, okay, they, they can't hear what he's saying. Because if you read the, the whole chapter of all of John chapter 8, we see that they resist the truth, okay, of the deity of Christ. And they reject the message because God is not their father. Um, there's other similar examples. We see Stephen in Acts chapter 7 verse 51 uh, because of, uh, of their rejection of God. It's, it's not some just intellectual agreement like, I just don't believe you. No, not like that. Uh, it's an outright, now get this, an unconverted person, their nature, it's a hostile rejection because of their nature. A hostile rejection. In, in Acts 7 to 51, okay, we see that. Let's flip over there real quick. When Stephen, um, before he's, he's killed, he said, it says, this right here, in Acts 51, it says, this is what he says. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised and hardened ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did so, so do you. This is a, a hostile rejection of an unconverted nature. I'm going somewhere with this. A hostile rejection of an unconverted nature. We see this again in Romans chapter 8, where Paul is talking in verses 6 through 8. Romans, Paul says this in, in verse 6. He says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on flesh is what? Hostile to God. This is not a neutral position. This is not a, well, he could be or couldn't be God. This is hostile towards God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot those who are in the flesh, listen here, cannot please God. Amen. The unconverted, their nature, they're hostile. They hate God. We talk to people on the street and, you know, that you're either for God or you're against God. But when you consider, in the words of evangelism, you know, when somebody that's not a, not a Christian, they're unconverted, they're a God-hater. Well, no, 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 I, I don't hate God. I'm just not, no, you're a God-hater. Read Romans 1.30. You hate God. 
And that's the nature of that person. And when we see this, it's an outward manifestation. It's an outward come to life of their inward condition, right? They're hostile towards God. In their spirit, they're hostile towards God. They don't want to submit to God. In their spirit, they're rejecting that submission to God. And so this, this full exposure, this wicked nature shows that this person for abortion is one that seeks to please his or herself. This person that is for abortion, that's their flesh. That's what their mind is set upon. And because of that, maybe think of verse, verse 7 there. Because mind on the flesh is death. Because of that, not only do they not submit to God, they can't submit to God. Right. What's Ephesians 2.1 say? You were dead in your trespasses. Dead men don't talk. Dead men don't walk. Dead men don't seek God, much less submit to God because they're dead in their spirit. And to put a capstone on it, there in verse 8, Romans 8, verse 8, he says, they cannot please God. This is the nature. This is what's at the root of the person for abortion. Because this is the nature. And then then we also can think of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. We see this again. Paul gives us another. He says the natural person, the unconverted person, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're what? They're folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. He can't understand them. That's why unless God goes forth and opens the sinner's eyes and does a work in their heart, they can't understand. This is why we don't do Bible studies with atheists. They can't understand the Word. The Holy Spirit's not in them. They can't discern the Word. No, we don't do Bible studies with atheists. We preach the Gospel to atheists. That God may bring them to repentance. That God may bring them to faith. Then they can read the Word and understand it. That's why 1 Corinthians 1.18 when somebody walks by and they get their fingers in the ear or one finger telling you you're number one in their life or any other thing they tell at you when you're on the box preaching because the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. To those who are perishing. That's why. That's why. And this is the natural person who is for abortion. You're for abortion. And what's John and Jesus says? we go on in verse 44. Now, listen to some of these words that Jesus uses. Friends, I know many churches, even today on this morning, have some glorious picture of some, some guy with flowing brown locks and rouge on his cheeks and perfect complexion. That's not Jesus. This is a Middle Eastern man who was a carpenter that worked with his hands. And this is one who went to the religious authorities of the day. Read how he's dealing with these people. Jesus was not nice dealing with the Pharisees. Not at all. He goes on in in verse 44. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. And what are the desires of the devil? Jesus tells him. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he doesn't stand in truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. The nature of that person being the child of the devil, right? We're not all God's children. I know that's a nice little Sunday school jingle people like to sing. Read 1 John chapter 3. Children of God and children of the devil. Friends, that's what it means to be adopted, right? When you're adopted, you're adopted from somewhere to somewhere else. 
So if you're adopted into the family of God, you had to come from somewhere else that wasn't of God. And what's the antithesis or the opposite of God? The devil. Evil. Now, as our lens, we, we start clicking. We do another click here. Get a little clearer view of the person for abortion. That we see that this manifestation, this continued manifestation of their spiritual nature is being exposed. Right? Your physical characteristics, if any of you sitting here, like them or hate them or anywhere in between, they're from your mom and dad. Right? At the closest level, your genes are from your mom and dad. You may look like them, smell like them, act like them, sound like them, behave like them. However... But they're from your mom and dad. And that's what we see. The people that are for abortion, they're reflecting the characteristics of their father in a spiritual nature. That's what, that's what they're doing. Right? And, and not only that, they're, they're showing their, 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 that, that as it manifests, they, the lies and, and, and everything that is in them. And th- that claim is serious. Remember, we're talking about people, some of them who claim to be Christian and support abortion. This is a serious claim, but... <laughs> it's pretty serious when you're killing somebody too. 61 million to date. Uh, but let's look what the person of abortion supports and let's see what God's character shows. And you tell me, God is not a thief. The enemy steals life from the womb. John 10.10, 10, the devil's a thief. How about the father of lies? We just read it, John 8.44. God is not a liar. But the enemy, the devil, will tell the mother that the lie, that this abortion will fix a problem. It'll be a simple fix to your problem. Or, or no one will know. The devil's a murderer, we just read again. God's not a murderer. What do you call killing a defenseless baby? What do you, what do you call that? Murder. God's not a devourer. Right? Malachi 3.11. God's not a devourer. Satan devouring the fruit of the womb. Revelation 12, 9. Satan, the deceiver, right? God's not a deceiver, but Satan will convince the mother that the baby will be a problem. He'll inconvenience your career. You won't be able to get everything out of life that you had hoped and dreamed for. The devil's the tempter. Matthew 4, 5, 1 Thessalonians 3, 5. God is not a tempter. And what's the enemy do? He lures the mother with the act of murdering her baby with his lies. The devil, the destroyer, Revelation 9-11. God's not a destroyer. The enemy causing the baby to be utterly destroyed. We just read about what it looks like, the gruesomeness of pulling it out piece by piece and destroying it. Satan, the accuser, Revelation 12-10. God's not an accuser, but the enemy will encourage abortion by convincing the mother she's something she's not. Oh, you're meant for more than this. You, you, this, this, this. Every reason why she should kill this baby. Uh, the enemy, Matthew 13, 39, God's not our enemy, but the enemy wants to stop Christians from continuing the faith through future generations. Right now, it's estimated that you need two Christian families because there's a thing called birth rate to get. So, so with the birth rate today, it's estimated and it's probably gotten worse since I've, I've seen the statistic. You need two Christian families to get one Christian to the next generation. Just one. Now consider how fast Islam is growing. Because they cherish children. They cherish. That's why they have as, you know, as many as they have. But anyway. And lastly, our adversary. The, the devil is our adversary. First Peter 5, 8. God is not our adversary. But Satan wants us to see us fail and destroy. So those are characteristics. A thief, a father of lies, a murderer, a devourer, a deceiver, a tempter, a destroyer, a accuser, an enemy, an adversary. Those are the characteristics 
that those who support abortion are exposing that they have in their nature. And let me just go on record and say, I, I find no way in Scripture, I find no way in Scripture to reconcile a statement that says you can be a blood-bought, truly born-again Christian and support abortion. Because it flies in the face of what Jesus Christ says. It's opposite. Jesus says, my sheep, what? They hear my voice. So, so I'll, I'll leave that there. But, so, so that's the, the person for abortion. That's the picture of them. Okay, the second part today, I want to talk about God's view of abortion. Now, we've seen a little bit there bleed over, but God's view of abortion. Now, as I mentioned, Scripture doesn't explicitly say the word or have the word abortion there. But sixth commandment, thou shalt not what? Murder, right? Thou shalt not murder. Simply put, abortion is murder. Uh, but, but God does give us some, some more insights. We look at scripture as a whole. Um, the first part of this is, is that every single person that's ever existed, every single person, every person, say every person, every person, every person that has ever existed was created by God. Children are a gift from God, fruit of the womb. You know these verses, Psalm 127, 3. Nothing has ever come to being that was not created by God. God, John chapter 1, or chapter 1, verse 3. But I want to, I want to read something to you here um, from, from Psalm 139, 13 and 16. You're probably familiar with this verse. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Remember that video? Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Remember that word, that term. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. That word, unformed substance, the, the late R.C. Sproul says this. The psalmist credits God for fashioning him in the womb. He also uses the term me to refer to himself before he was born. And it is noteworthy, now get this, it is noteworthy that the Hebrew word translated as unformed substance, okay, is also the Hebrew word for embryo. Now listen, this is the only instance of that word used in anywhere in Scripture. In the entire Bible, this part where he says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. That Hebrew word for embryo there is not used anywhere else in Scripture, but right here. It's not a blob of cells. It's not a clump of cells. It's a baby. At conception, it's a baby. God creates. So using science, we, we, we see the, 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 the development, the vital signs of the baby. At just three weeks, the same vital signs that are measured to see if an adult is alive or dead can be found in a baby. Do you know how many adults uh, in, in senior care or nursing homes and so forth we would have to kill if we, held, if we allowed the same standards we have of, of slaughtering babies? Indication of life such as a heartbeat, a nervous system, a skeletal system, muscles and blood flow are also present. Um, and that's science and that's great. Who gives us science? God. Can't do science without God. So what's God say? How many know what Luke's profession was? Luke. He was a what? Somebody said, it's a doctor, it's a physician. Don't you think a physician might know something about the medical status of a person? Well, let's look. So what, where do we find this in God's word? How can we, we, we say that? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
because I'm going to jump through Luke chapter 1 real quick. Let me just read a few of these passages. Luke chapter 1, verse 41. It says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. Luke 1, 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. Luke 2, 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Luke 2, 16. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And now, and now Luke 8, 15, uh, 18, 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. The word baby, baby, baby in the womb, baby, baby in a manger, baby in a manger, baby in a womb, infants, the same word in the Greek. For baby. So the same word used to describe John the Baptist leaping in Elizabeth's womb when she found out Mary was pregnant. It's the same word for baby used when it says they were bringing infants to him that he might touch them. It's a baby. God settled it, said it, and God, that settles it. There's no discussion. There's no debate. I don't need to talk to some, some, some person with more degrees than a thermometer at Harvard or some other fantastic university or whatever to tell me that you know, you're just a dumb hillbilly and it's a this, this. No, it's a baby. God said it. That settles it. It's a baby. Something I came across while studying, and this, this can be hard for some of us and harder for some of us than others, because, and I say this because it comes up in the abortion discussion. What about deformities? What about disabilities? That always comes up. Wouldn't it be better just to, you know, the child wouldn't have to grow up in this or, or grow up in that? And by the way, these scenarios, these false arguments, these false narratives that I'm, I'm rattling off, I have met people that either were the mother of these situations or a child that came through. That was saying, and you would believe how many times that the doctor says, oh, you need to abort this baby. You need to, we need to do this now because it's going to, and the baby comes out 100% healthy and normal. But anyway, this is, can be, but with deformities and disabilities, now this is a little harder to think through, right? You know, Pastor Don was talking in his prayer about God being sovereign. This is part of God's sovereignty. This is where God's sovereignty kind of fries our minds a little bit. God created every person. God was responsible for every, the way they were made, right? Granted, sin came into the world. Sin causes cancer and sickness and these deformities and that. But God, being sovereign, knows this. He, he, he decrees this. And so, so when we think through this, that God, these were created with deformities and disabilities. But listen to what Exodus 4.11. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? It is, is it not I, the Lord? Amen. God takes full responsibility for it. Doesn't even bat an eye because he's God. Right. Because he's God. And why is that? Well, why is that? Right? Well, when we try to validate abortion for the, these reasons of birth defects and so forth, and when you're with a, a, a Christian and they're trying to be Christian and they're saying, but, 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 but Jay, this, 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 this sonogram shows this, this is going to be deformed. You know what you do? You do what you do all the time. You get your Bible out. You get your sword out. You unsheathe that thing. 
And you grab a hold of John chapter 3, verse 9, and you just swing with all your might. Jesus tells him, he says, Is it not that, it's not that this man has sinned, or that his parents, why did God allow this child to be created that way? But that the works of God might be displayed in him. Amen. God's sovereign. God knows what he's doing. God has no plan B. There's plan A. Plan A only. I'm studying this and I was thinking through when um, our little man was born, Elijah. And, um, you know, he, he was born and he was, was really, really quiet. Couldn't understand why. Just not, it's not a trait of our family. And, and, and so uh, he was a very sound sleeper. And they would take him back. And, and I don't know what they call those things. They look like high-tech beats earmuffs. And they test their hearing when they're, when they're born. And one of them was messed up. And then the second time we went back, it was he had a little bit of fluid in his ear, which I guess is kind of normal when babies are born. And the third time we went back, and I forget how many times we went. And I was always, every time I was running out of excuses that there may be something wrong with, this, with one of his ears. And um, it, it was pretty heartbreaking when, when um, the doctor came out of uh, his surgery when we had tubes put in his ears. And he looked at, looked at the wife and I and he says, he, he's moderately, severely deaf in his left ear. And um, it, it was crushing at the moment. But, but you know, um, God's good. God's sovereign, right? And if that's how God created my son... Who am, I, who am I to shake my fist and say, what are you doing? Yes, that's right. Now, God's going to use this, as Jesus says, for his works and for his purpose. I don't know how that's going to play out. I don't know how that, that's going to work. It's not my, not, my, not my concern. My concern is to continue to be faithful to God and trust God. And there we'll put another little footnote. Because the, the other argument that comes up with, with rape and with incest. And those are very hard very, very, very hard things. These aren't things we can just blow through. Again, they're not justification for abortion. Not at all. God was not responsible for the sin, for act that caused that child, whether it was rape, whether it was incest, molestation, whatever. However, back to our text, who creates life? God still created that life. I can tell you from young women I've talked to when I used to, used to work with, with some pro-life groups and um, so forth, I've, I've met these women who have been molested, who have been raped, and they have absolutely no regrets of that child that they call son or daughter today. Because God creates life. God creates life. And it makes no sense, friends, if we just want to think on a logical level, it makes absolutely no sense to murder a child because of another person's Sinful act, right? Second part of this about God's view uh, on abortion, excuse me, is uh, everybody's created in the image of God, right? Everybody's created in the image of God. Every person created has worth and dignity and value and purpose because they're created in 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 the image of God. And that's what sets us apart from all the rest of creation. There's a deer out on our property. And Reagan's like, oh, dude, don't shoot him, don't shoot him. He's got a broken hip and he hobbles around. And hey, don't shoot him. He's, 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 he's. And, and, and it's mean. It's this and that. And we had this discussion this morning. I said, Reagan, what's the Bible say? That the animals were created in the image of God? No, dear. She, she knows, right? We are special. We, we are not angels, not animals. But of all creation, we were created in the image of God. So much 
Now, here's where you're going to ask, some of you may disagree with me. But here's where um, we see that, that, that God prescribes, God prescribes capital punishment for murderers. Uh, if you look all the way back, I'm not going to, this is a whole other sermon unto itself. But, um, but if you look in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, back in, in those days, Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, of my reference. Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Right. I'll, I'll speak to that here more in a second, but just, just bear with me. Third part of this is that every person is the focus of God's loving care. Every person. Did I say every person? Every person is the focus of God's loving care. I know there's a lot of this. Well, let me just go here. Psalm chapter 82. Psalm chapter 82, verses 3 and 4. Listen to this. Give justice to the weak and to the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Of the wicked. God's, every person is the focus of God's loving care. In fact, when God was made his covenant with Israel, he wasn't silent about this. And this is probably the, the closest thing we have in all the text uh, about abortion. If you turn with me just briefly to Exodus chapter 21, and verse 22 to 25. Exodus chapter 21, verse 22 to 25. Exodus chapter 21, verse 22 to 25. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fine. As a woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, when you, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, Burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. If two men come together or are fighting, a pregnant woman comes and tries to break it up in one of them, and the blow comes and it injures the baby in the mother's womb, and the baby is murdered. What's God say? God says, life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe, you pay. Yes, I am absolutely okay with murderers called doctors that perform abortions getting the death penalty. Absolutely. 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 What about the old, what about the New Testament? Well, that's that Old Testament stuff. What about the New Testament? As one Bible teacher says, Jesus is the leading advocate in the New Testament for capital punishment. Did you know that? Follow with me real quick. We're going to go quick. Matthew chapter 26, verses 51 to 52. Jesus says, And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword. You remember this? And struck the servant of high priest and cut off his ear. You remember this scene, right, in the garden? Then Jesus said to him, but I bet you never thought of it in this context. 
Put your sword back to its place. For all who take the sword will what? Perish by the sword. If you take the sword, you'll perish by the sword. Flip over to Acts 25, chapter 11. Watch this. Acts chapter 25, verse 11. Paul says, If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which, here it is, I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death, but if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give them give me up to them, I appeal to Caesar. What's Paul say? He says, if there's anything I've done which is worthy of death, friends, simple logic in English teaches us, if he says that, then there has to be something worthy of death. There's no other way around it. Or why would Paul say that? And, 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 and lastly, Romans chapter 13, verses 3 and 4. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have, this is Paul again, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For, get this, how does he bear the sword? He does not bear the sword in vain. Which means, the logical, the other part of it, he does bear the sword. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath to the wrongdoer. Again, I am absolutely okay with the death penalty, capital punishment for those who call themselves doctors, but in reality are butchers of of, of defenseless babies. And how much does God hate the killing of babies? Proverbs 6, 16 and 17. You probably know where I'm going now. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. If you call yourself a doctor and you sit there and you murder a child piece by piece with machines and all this other stuff and drugs and saline, you're burning children, you're tearing children apart. If that's what you're doing, you are hands that shed innocent blood. Proverbs 24, 11 and 12. Rescue those. <laughs> Rescue those. Who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Um, this is God looking at, 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 at blood there. Behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who watches over your soul know it? And he will not repay man's according to his work. Killing an infant is murder. A murder is done by a murderer. And the murderer from the beginning is Satan. Don't ever forget that, Christian. And don't allow a professing Christian who, who claims Christ as Savior to take you in, in, in circles to get away with trampling the blood of Christ under their feet by supporting such a vile, satanic act as abortion. Don't allow it without rebuking them. In love, rebuke them. Take them to the Scriptures. Or, probably firstly, give them God's solution for abortion our last piece here. What's God's solution for the abortion? It's the same solution for the addict. It's the same solution for the homeless. It's the same solution for the poor. It's the same solution for the proud. It's the same solution for everybody. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that friend or family member or whoever that you know supporting abortion, if not by the grace of God, that's us. That's us. 
What do we have that we haven't been given? So let's not be prideful, but let's be thankful. We've seen the persons for abortion. We've seen God's view of abortion, and it's, it's pretty grim. But just as joy comes in the morning, there is joy, there is hope, and that hope is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the only solution. We've looked at this, the nature of a man and the outward manifestation by their spiritual nature. That's why we have to go as Christians with the only weapon that can stop abortion, which is the gospel. The the abortion is spiritual warfare. You don't win spiritual warfare with political actions. I have no faith in politics. Look at all the, 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 the swindled American evangelical Christians. Trump, 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 Trump. He's going to defund Planned Parenthood. Two, three years into his presidency, where are they at? They're still getting government funding. Trump, Trump, Trump. Who cares? Jesus, Trump's the president. I don't care who's in the office at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I don't care. We respect them. We pray for them. I know what Romans 13 says. But that's not where our hope lies. Our hope has to lie in the gospel. This is spiritual warfare. And when I see my friends who are out in these abortion mills and these clinics calling people to repentance, many Christians, even their own, come at them and, 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 and snip at their heels. You're just being judgmental. And, and oh, that mother's a victim. She's not a victim. She's a murderer, an accomplice to a murder because she's taken that baby who has no choice to the place to be executed at the hands of another murderer. That's called an accomplice. You load the gun, you hold the gun, you drive the person to somebody's house and murder them and see how well the law system treats you. You're an accomplice. The mother who does this is an accomplice. It doesn't make you a mother of of no children. It makes you the mother of a dead baby. A father of a dead baby. If men were stepping up, Instead of stepping downstairs to mommy and daddy's basement at age 35 playing video games, we wouldn't have this problem. That's right. Where's the men? Where's the Christians? The gospel. The gospel has that salve, that healing balm. Because through the gospel, when you bring people to, to, to Christ, and, and they see their sin that Christ can replace that heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And when that heart of stone is replaced with a heart of flesh, the spiritually dead come alive. Ezekiel 33. They come alive. The valley of their, their dead bones. They come alive. God breathes life into them. And when they come alive, they're a new creation as a believer. And when they're a new creation as a believer, they have ears to hear and eyes to see. And go back to our, our text in, in John 8. They can now hear Jesus. Because they want to hear Jesus. They can understand Jesus because they want to understand Jesus. Because they have a new nature, a new heart. And they can hear His words. And they no longer have the desires of their previous former father, the devil. Their desires now are that of God's desires. Their desires aren't to lie. Their desires aren't to murder. Their desires are love. Their desires are justice. Their desires are that of God. And when they have that, it's because they have a truth in them. And that outward manifestation of their desire for justice, their desire for love, their desire for life, their desire not to, not, not to murder, is an outward manifestation of their new nature. Yes. The new nature that was brought forth by the gospel. The gospel. And when they have that, they will stand. With, and this is us. This should be us. Unwavering on God's word. Unwavering, immovable on God's word against this sin. 
And lastly, friends, as I close, I want to leave, I don't want to leave out one group of people. And that is those who, who maybe in this room, maybe in your family, maybe in your close circles, that may have had an abortion. We all may know somebody that had one. I know, I know somebody that's had more than one. And she's a family member. There's hope for that person. There's hope for that person in the gospel. The blood of Christ can offer that person life. And while they'll still live with the effect of that sin, they can be forgiven of that sin. Right? Just because you, if you go murder somebody, Christ can forgive you. There is, there is forgiveness at the cross. But you still will have an effect of ramification. You may still have to spend prison the rest of your life. Right? But, but, but Christ can still, and that's what matters. Our spiritual state, we're here for a short time. So there is hope. And if you know somebody that's had an abortion, there's hope in the gospel. Abortion is not the unforgivable sin. In fact, rightly understood, every one of us in here are murderers. What's Jesus say? If you've hated your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder. I grew up with four other siblings. I know what it means to hate a brother or sister. I have four children. I know what it means to watch that hatred go forth. So, 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 so hear me. I'm not saying we are on some platform looking down our noses and pointing fingers at those who have had abortions. Absolutely not. By the grace of God, that's us. That's us. Without the gospel. So there is forgiveness. There is hope at the cross. There is truth at the cross. There is mercy at the cross. There is justice at the cross. And because God is sovereign, God is holy, God is righteous, God is just, God will save those He will save. People balk at the, at the they, they get mad at, pre- at the Bible truths of predestination and election, and I'm not going to get into that, start a, a big hoorah about that, but I'll tell you, without election, sounds kind of nice now, these babies that have no chance, that have no chance. I, I, I recommend you, um, there, there is one book I will recommend you, uh, one for your own edification, right, as a Christian to think through this, and one so that you can help, and it's a great book to give people. That, that may have had an abortion or, or they may have lost a child even. It, it, same thing. Um, it's called Safe in the Arms of God. Uh, Pastor John MacArthur wrote that book. Um, Safe in the Arms of God. It is a wonderful book. Not only for, 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 for those who have lost children, but to help us think through abortion. And to, because to, let's be honest. God, why? Why would you allow 61 million babies to be destroyed like that? So, so think through that. But there is hope in the gospel. There is hope in the cross. So let's pray. And uh, we'll trust God to apply this to your lives. And to help us think through this. And not remain silent when we have the opportunity to speak for those who don't have a voice. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the grace and the mercy you've shown us. Um, and you, the word you've given us. Lord, we thank you that you're a God of communication. You're a God who... It's not some mystery we have to figure out. You're not something we have to try to work through. But God, your word has plainly told us. And Lord, sometimes your truths sting a little bit when we read them, Father. But God, if our hope is in you, our trust is in you, 
What else can we trust? What else can we put our faith in? Lord, I pray that your, your people would hear this word. I pray, Lord, that they would take your scriptures to heart, that they would meditate on these scriptures, that they would pray over this, Lord, and, and, and consider the truths of the gospel when it comes to the murder, Lord, of, of unborn children. Lord, I know I've been guilty many times of conveying truth in a uh, not a very graceful way. But Lord, I pray that our failures, myself and others who may have a little less graceful way of presentation, Lord, I pray that that will not be a hindrance to the truth that your word gives, the truth about murders, the truth about the source of that murder, the truth about the author of murder. Lord, that, that we may set our eyes upon the author of life. That we may set our eyes upon the author of life and speak that life to this dying and hurting world. That we may speak this truth to an untruthful world. That we may speak this justice to an unjust world. That we may help them, Lord, free themselves. That we may, as 2 Timothy says, Lord, that we may be patient and loving with these people. Not returning evil to them, Lord. But being patient and ministering them through the word, through the gospel of Jesus Christ in scripture till Christ be formed in them that God you may grant them the gift of repentance that would lead to the truth Lord that would free them from the trap and the snare that the enemy would lay before them Lord we pray for those especially who are especially dangerous who are flying the banner of Christ with one hand with the blackness of the enemy around their shoulder as they either turn their head, Lord, away from pretending it doesn't happen or whether they are actively being involved in this slaughter to date of over 61 million. 61 million, Lord, images of you. 61 million fruits of the womb. 61 million creations of life. Lord, forgive us for this wicked generation, this modern-day holocaust, Lord. Have mercy on us, Father, and please withhold your judgment upon us that, that we may go out with the gospel and see more come to, to conversion, to, to truth. And Lord, again, I, I pray for those who may have partaken and been a part of this, this heinous vile act, Lord. For the mother, Lord, that, that, that's sitting there today depressed, maybe sterile now because of, of such a, a practice or maybe with some kind of disease or, or anything. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, among all her medical and physical ailments that you would, Lord, beckon the call to her heart. That she would hear your call to come. That she would hear the words of life of Scripture. That your burden is easy, your yoke is, yoke is light. That, that God, you will give her rest this morning. For the men, Lord, who are anything but blameless. For the men who have encouraged such murder. For the men who have been the accomplice in driving her to that murder mill. For the men who, who are so, so ingrained in their lifestyle of free sexual relations and lusts and uh, pornography and everything else, Lord, the, that, that have partaken in this so they can continue their sinful lifestyle. Oh, Lord, that you would bring them to their knees. They would find forgiveness at the cross. They would find the 
that there is a, a, a joy and a hope in Christ and Christ alone. And that their eternity doesn't have to be marked, Lord, by the evil deeds that they've been a part of and an encourager of here on earth. That they can have that freedom from sin, that freedom of forgiveness. Lord, you're our only hope. So for the pro-life Christian, the only type of Christian, the pro-life Christian, or for the pro-death, Lord, have your way in each camp. Strengthen our bodies, strengthen our minds, be our firm foundation and our solid rock to stand upon. Lord, silence the mouths of those who would come against you. Silence those mouths. When we interact with them, Lord, whether it be head-to-head or counseling a family member or a friend considering this murderous act, God, go before us. Give us grace. Hide us behind the cross. Let us be ambassadors for you that the truth may come forth, that you may be pleased, Lord, that you may be glorified. We ask this in Christ's name.